are back in 2022. I'm so excited to be back on the podcast. I really, really missed it. Um, it's been an extended Christmas break and I'm so glad to be back on the podcast. It has been a while, it definitely has been a while. And so many of you guys have missed the podcast as well. Like I've got so many messages from people saying when it's coming back, when is it coming back? And it's so nice, I guess, to come back on the podcast. I've been recording in, in the background, like I don't know if you guys know, but I have been recording quite a lot. So we've got some amazing episodes coming out for you guys in this year and so many big plans as well. So I'm so glad that you guys have sticked around this long and waiting for me patiently to come back with a podcast and um, we're off with a big episode today to be fair but before we jump in I have actually launched a brand new podcast with a venture capital firm called Life Ventures and it's called Inside the Tech Den if you please check that out it'll be a massive massive boost for the podcast because it's a recently launched one Um, it's very similar to what we talk about here so please do check it out it'll be in my description below and please leave a five-star written review on that podcast as well it helps that grow massively and it is a cool podcast listen to it because we talk to some really cool people some people who have actually been on the on this podcast before so if you're like looking for a part two um we did an episode with stephanie sword williams which i know a lot of you guys loved so if you want a part two that's the best place to go so inside the tech den the podcast you can search on apple podcast spotify it's everywhere we launched a few weeks ago so yeah do check it out leave a five-star written review it helps us so much but anyway we are back with the weekly episodes now from here on in until maybe next christmas when we will take a break but you have my word on that So, I don't want to keep you guys waiting any longer. In this episode, I spoke with Margot, the co-founder behind Juno, a learning and community platform to support women to invest and feel empowered by their finances. To top it off as well, they just raised $2.2 million. I'm actually pretty glad that we waited um, to launch this podcast because we recorded this a few weeks before they just announced this raise so it makes the podcast even more exciting because they were they were you know the raise already happened but they were waiting to announce it and they just announced it a few days ago now so i'm so glad to have this as my first episode um, in 2022 so we covered some amazing things such as why the gap of financial education exists between men and women and how margot and her team intend to plug it and solve this problem to empower more women with their money It's such a huge problem that exists and just talking to Margot, kind of digging deep as to why that problem exists really opened my eyes further. I knew the problem existed before, but it's kind of like digging deeper with the data that she's kind of uncovered was, you know, it's it's amazing. So please do listen to that. It's really, really cool. And we also talk about how they started. So how they built a strong community of education from a email course, firstly, harnessing word of mouth before scaling that with technology, the steps they took to to scale that um, before they even, you know, built it with built an app was a very interesting story. And so we talked about that and also how they raised initial investment backed by the strength of their community to build this app and why they thought an app was the best way to scale their message. Basically, they built a community first, then they raised money from the back of that community to build an app. So it's a very interesting way to grow a business that I think so many of you guys will find a lot of value from. And Margot outlines that whole story um, to the point where they raised $2.2 million. So please do stay tuned for that. Um, It's a really, really cool story. This has already been a pretty long intro, but if you do enjoy this episode, please be sure to give a five-star written review. We're not doing a shout-out now, but in future, if you're if you're new to the podcast, we basically do a shout-out to someone who's left a written review, five-star, on Apple Podcasts, as a way of saying thank you for the support. And we're not doing one in this one, just because this, this intro has been a bit long. Uh, so for the next episodes, we will include them. So please do leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. As a thank you, I will give you a shout-out in the next episode. 
So yeah, without further ado, let's jump into the very first episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur in 2022. Hey Margot, how are you? Hello, it's so good. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. This is the first podcast that I'm doing since the Christmas break. So I'm really excited to sit down with you um, to talk about Juno, talk about everything that you've done with the, with the app and also the community. It's such a big problem, but I know we'll get into that later in the podcast. So I can't wait to speak with you. I think it's, it is a very, very good podcast to come back with in 2022. So I guess like, let's just like jump into it. I guess like introduce yourself to the, to the audience because I'd love to kind of, yeah, jump into it. Absolutely. Um, so my name is Margot. I'm one of the two co-founders of Juno. I am 24 years old, um, which I feel like is relevant for this podcast somehow. Um, and I am half French, half German. Um, and I started Juno, which is a financial education platform for women and non-binary people. What that means in reality is basically a Duolingo of money. So it's a platform that teaches you how to invest, how to learn about crypto, how to learn how to get uh, a mortgage, how to manage your pension, etc. Um, and we have a large community following backing us as well. Mm, that's so cool. I'd love to jump into the problem first because as I mentioned to you before we hit record, but I was at this pitching competition um, a few months ago and this other app, uh, I can't remember their name that actually off my head, but they they were pitching, they didn't win the competition, but they were pitching and they were talking about this very exact problem of financial education, but specifically um, to females and you know non-binary people. And it really opened my eyes. I didn't know how big of an issue it really was. I knew there was some sort of an, a gap there, but with you know numbers backing it and with personal experiences, it really solidified to me that there's a huge problem here. And I think you being in that space, like how big is it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting because we've been hearing a lot about the gender pay gap over the last few decades. And rightly so, because it is a huge problem. Um, I think in the UK, it's for every pound a man earns, a woman earns 82p. Um, so that is definitely a problem. But what hasn't been spoken about enough is the gender wealth gap. So how much do money do how much women actually own compared to men? So not only earn, but how much do they have at the end of the day? And the gap is so much wider when you look at that. So for every one pound a man owns, a woman just owns 32p. So less than a third of what a man owns. And there's obviously a lot of factors that come into this that explain that gap. Um, there's kind of structural inequalities, but then there's also the problem of financial education and the financial confidence that we have to take the right decisions for ourselves. Things like investing in the stock market, taking out a mortgage, but also not getting into credit or really being um, mindful with our spending. There's, we're really noticing differences in, in financial confidence and hence financial outcomes um, for the two demographics. And it's a huge problem, um, especially in the UK. So why does that problem exist, do you think? I think, um, I mean, there's there's a lot of different factors. I think it's, it's also the legacy of just very traditional gender roles when it comes to money. It's only been like 60 years that women could open a bank account in their own name. And so obviously things take time to change. And there's a really interesting study actually created by, by Starling Bank. Um, it's called Make My Money Equal. And they kind of looked at the language that is used around finance for both men and women. And what they found is that 95% of finance articles targeted at men focus on investing, on growing their wealth, this idea of abundance and bringing more money in. 
And then when they looked at the finance articles targeted at women, 87% of those focused on savings, on coupon, on budgeting, and this idea of scarcity, of making sure that the resources, you know, you can keep them more, you can see them. And of course, that hinders you from actually growing your wealth. And I think that messaging is still so prevalent these days um, that I think that plays a huge role in how we feel and, and how we, you know, how we perceive ourselves when it comes to money. There's this idea that I'm not good with money is something that so many of us hold, but it's actually, when have you been taught about money? When have you learned about money? If you haven't tried it, of course, you're not good at it yet. It's like saying, I'm not good at yoga when you've never done a class. That makes sense. You haven't had anyone teach it to you properly. That is so interesting. So I know for a fact, obviously, that the, the, the education around, you know, investing and stuff like that is doesn't exist within schools and stuff like it just doesn't exist. And we've, I've spoken about that on the podcast before because there needs to be that education there. But I guess what I'm really interested in is, of course, the language, as you mentioned, differs when because they're targeting it specifically towards men in later life. So do, do women basically just get left behind at that point? Yeah, I mean, I think there's this idea of you need to be careful with your money and you need to take less risk, which is something that gets kind of drummed into us from an early age. And then we say women are more risk averse, but really it's been it's what we've been conditioned to believe from an early age. Then I think what plays another big role is that when you look at fintech overall, the reality is that most of it has been created by men based on men's experiences, because most of the fintech teams are men. And so they just don't take enough into account what women's experiences are with financial product. There's a real lack of data. And there's a really interesting book called Invisible Woman that kind of explores the, the data gap in different fields. And they see that, for example, in the healthcare industry, so many of the kind of healthcare trial have been done on male bodies. Yeah. So there's huge amounts of I know about data that. for yeah. women. It's crazy. Um, and I think the same applies for finance. All these fintech companies are run by men. And so obviously they don't take into account as much the need of the other demographic. That is that is really, really interesting. I think education probably only makes up a very, very you know, a small chunk of the old, the overall you know, system, because as you were mentioning, it is that the people in charge of these organizations, which is like a big part of it. But obviously, education is the bit that you're is the angle that you're going in with, with with Juno. So I guess how important is the education in this overall piece? And have like, I guess, like, is that, you know, that's why you started, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's huge structural problem that need to change. And we see education as a way of taking the power back into our own hands and kind of increasing the rate of that change. Because if we're just going to sit around and wait until the system changes, we might still be here for a while without anything changing. And so I think the education piece and the confidence piece are tied in really closely together. Because once you feel like those words that are so jargony and that you don't understand and that you shy away from previously, once you have a grasp of what an ETF is, what an NFT is, what a fund is, then suddenly you feel like you're included in the conversation and you feel like you have agency over what's happening with your finances because it's not this kind of black, dreadful box that you don't want to look into. Um, and so I think that's where the role of education really lies in making people realize that finance is not this rocket science that we've been made to believe, even investing, even crypto. Most of us can understand it if it's explained in an interesting and proper way. Um, and that's what we're really determined to show people. 
No, it's it's hundred percent right. Like my, um, I'm moving into a new role, which I haven't actually announced yet. But I'm moving into a new role with this um, NFT marketplace platform. I'm going to be like with with you know the head of growth there, and it's like the team is majority male. Not because there are some females obviously involved, but not because like they haven't tried to find females, but a lot of them just don't touch the space. And I think it's like what you were talking about. It things that I guess they might shy away from because it is culturally seen, you know, these sort of spaces is seen as a male thing. When actual fact, like I know for a fact, because I know NFTs, it's not difficult. Like you can explain it easily to everyone. It's not like it can be inclusive to everyone. Any, anyone can get involved. It doesn't matter. I mean, a big, a big reason why I started this very podcast is like a similar thing, right? Because a lot of, a lot of females get left behind when it comes to other sort of educational podcasts that specifically sp- speak about entrepreneurship like we were saying b- before a lot of them give a, po- a platform to like middle-aged white men and it's like i want to you know be a podcast where to show relatable stories from any everyone to show that it can be for everyone entrepreneurship and and so i completely understand what you're trying to say i'm just like trying to take a step back to hear like i guess like other people in the audience might say i don't believe this by the way but i know like people might say this is like I guess why do you need to differentiate the language between you know, males and females and like other genders? Because education is education at the end of the day. Why do you need to differentiate it? Yeah, I think there's a few things here. I think the reality is that women face different financial circumstances throughout their lives. Um, so obviously the gender pay gap, but also the higher likelihood of being um, a sole earner, the motherhood penalty, um, the smaller pensions. There's a lot of things that we face that simply just by the structure that we live in are different. Um, And then I think being intentional in terms of, because it's a space that hasn't been created for us in the long run, I think a lot of us have negative experiences in feeling shamed or in feeling like we don't belong in those types of spaces. And so what we're really interested in is creating intentionally a safe space for those that have been left out of the conversation to feel like they're part of it. I think men have a huge role to play in this as well and being allies and and being part of that conversation together, I think we can all benefit from learning, absolutely. But I think for us, it's really about bridging that gender wealth gap that needs to happen. And we see financial education as a way of getting there. But I absolutely agree with your point. I think financial education overall is something that gets completely left out of schools and should absolutely be on the curriculum for everyone. We just don't feel like we can kind of solve every problem, um, tackle it all at once. And we feel passionate about this one. Um, Yeah. I was really interested to see how Margot actually, you know, fundamentally started this business because it wasn't always an app that she wants to do. It was a community first. So I really want to jump into that. But before I do, I want to tell you something very quickly from the podcast new sponsor, Zencaster. So, so many of you guys actually come to me with like questions about how to start a podcast. Now, I started my podcast during the pandemic. The biggest challenge for me was recording remotely while maintaining quality because Zoom and other video chat platforms are not built for podcasting, they're built for for video chats. And for podcasting, it just doesn't cut it. Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution makes the process so quick and painless. Um, It's the way it should be, right? And the cool thing about Zencaster and the reason why I use it and I have been using it since day one, since my very, very first episode, is that they record audio and video on both sides. So there's no loss in quality, even with a poor internet connection. And that's kind of like why I use it. I don't know if you've listened to podcasts where they use Zoom, but if the guest 
you know their connection cuts out for a bit you also cut out on audio and it's it's, it's a bit rubbish whereas this my internet's not always perfect and my guest's internet's not always perfect so when it cuts out for a bit when i'm recording um, and i've had some really really bad connections on episodes because it records audio on their side and my side and then i can just like fix it in post so it's a really, really cool solution specifically built for podcasting. It's not built for anything else. I, I highly recommend you check it out. And it's something that I genuinely believe in. I've been using it since day one. If you know anything about my podcasting rituals or whatever, if you read my blogs, you know that I've been using this from day one. So when I got in touch to sponsor the podcast, I was really excited because I genuinely do believe in it. and I genuinely use it. So if you are thinking about doing a podcast, this is the number one tool you should use. And it's it's a free version. It's a free thing. But if you want to make your podcasting experience, you know, even better and take it to the next level with stuff like an AI powered transcription service or automatic post-production with editing or whatever. They've, they've got so many cool premium features. You can use my link in the description. You've got 30% off your first three months and the links in the description. It, it's a very good deal, basically. So yeah, do check it out. If you don't want the paid version, use the free version. It's something that I definitely recommend for anyone doing a podcast where you're doing remote interviews like me. Now let's jump back in. I was running a previous business before this, which was kind of running in-person events. Um, and obviously during the pandemic, that became a little bit less popular. Um, and my sister reached out to me and she always has crazy entrepreneurship ideas. And she said, I think we should do a course on, on finance. So many people want to learn about it. And so we started a 12-week course simply over email for friends. Um, We've really noticed that there were so many things people didn't know about. So we thought, let's just, you know, send a PDF every week and see where we get to. Um, and within a couple of days, we had about 500 people signed up. Um, and it just was kind of spreading around through word of mouth. And we realized there was a huge appetite for this, like, older sister kind of financial ad advice, which isn't a bank sponsoring it or, you know, where it, which isn't a sales pitch for a sort of product purely in your own best interest here's the information you need to know um and so after this 12 weeks course the results we saw were remarkable in terms of actually taking action we saw so many people making their first investment getting out of debt building their emergency fund someone left like a financially abusive relationship it was just amazing how the, that 12 week course really had a big impact um and then we thought of ways we can optimize the learning experience because EdTech is such a booming field at the moment, and there's so many different platforms that spend um, all their focus on the user experience and making the learning experience as engaging and as accountable as possible. And so we thought, let's take those learnings and see what we can do with finance. Um, and that's how the app kind of got started. That's amazing. We'll go on to the app in a second. But what I'm really interested in is, well, firstly, building a community is is the I'd say probably the hardest thing about growing a startup, right? Like you can build amazing products, you can build you know all of that stuff, but building an actual community that loves what you're doing, that's fundamentally really, really tricky. And that, like obviously that's why a lot of startups fail, right? But you built that email, uh, you know, the email course, but it got to like 500 users. How, like, how did that happen? I'd say a few things. I think we're incredibly mission-driven and that resonates. I think the timing is right. Um, there's a big appetite for it, especially during the pandemic. The whole GameStop thing was happening. No one really had any idea what that meant. And so we kind of slipped in right at the, at the good moment. But then back to your previous point about making it only for women and non-binary people, I think by being very focused, 
in terms of who this is for, it meant that, yes, we don't appeal to everyone, but the people that we do appeal to tend to resonate quite strongly with our, with our mission. Um, and so it happened quite naturally, I would say. I mean, those 500 people, we shared a type form around on our social media, and then it just ended up being shared around into other networks, etc. Um, so word of mouth kind of carried that. And I think it's something we found so far. We now have 10,000 users on the app, and it's all been word of mouth and, and organic reach. Um, so I think the mission-driven nature is is really just what, what gets people going. I guess, like, how do you... I know word of mouth can be incredibly powerful. And it's like we've grown a lot from word of mouth as well. But I'd love to know how you can kind of optimize word of mouth. That's kind of like what I'm going through at the moment is like, I know word of mouth exists. I know it delivers results for us. How do we how do we do more? How do we get like more results out of word of mouth? Because it's so effective. It's tricky because it's not like a controllable channel. You can't like increase spend and then see the results coming out directly. Um, I think a few things we've thought about is how do we make people want to share about this? How do we get them to feel interested in it? And I think for us, a big role in that is we're not a company. We're not positioning ourselves as like the face of this brand, but we're just initially two sisters who are passionate about changing a problem in the world. And we need the help of others to get there. And I think appealing to that and really showing the ups and downs and the struggles and asking for that help directly as well has really, um, I think, supported us in, in, in people spreading the word because it's not like this tech startup that you don't really know what's behind it. It's like, oh, wait, I want to be part of this. I want to I wanna help because I believe in this mission too. And so I think what I would encourage any, any person starting a brand as well is be, be the face behind it, be the real person behind it. And people get much more attached to, to emotions and to people rather than to brands. And, and I think that helps a lot um, to build that relationship directly with your community. No, it is a really, really cool point that you make there. And I, I, it reminded me of this kind of like segment of a book that I read. It's like kind of shifting my whole perspective on, on startups before, because I know a lot of people when they start, when they start something, they kind of think that their startup's kind of like the hero in the story of like everyone, you know, better go to them. But it's kind of like, in actual fact, if you shift your focus, your user is the hero and you're actually the tool or the, you know, the, the friendly person or, you know, company that helps them get to that goal that they want to go to and it's when you actually change your focus in that way it really changes the way that you run a startup and it's kind of like changed the way that i'm running wing as well at the moment um and it's really cool that you're saying like that's the way that you went into it from the beginning and that's how word of mouth i guess has been optimized it's kind of like you know what we can like because everyone else feels really involved in your journey right i, I don't really understand startups especially small ones that don't show, you know, founders faces and stuff like that. You're, they're really missing a trick, right? Because, you know, if you're trying to build a community and you don't actually show your faces, it's like they can't disassociate, you know, they can't associate a company with an actual founder and they can't, they can't, I feel like people can't get behind it as much. For sure. And everyone loves their stories. I mean, if I think about my friends who are entrepreneurs, I do anything to help them because I'm like you can see the passion in their eyes, and no matter if I don't even believe in their mission, I'll be I'll be there supporting them, um, and and I think that really is infectious. Um, so, yeah. so if you combine that with like you know a good mission, a good sort of good value that you're bringing to that user or customer, 
um, then yeah, I guess word of mouth can be massively optimized, right? And that's kind of like what you found. So when you were saying word of mouth, was it literally just people sharing the type form? Or was it when you were saying those emails, then people would share the emails with their friends? Yeah. So for initially it was the type form and then we quickly created a Slack channel mm. um, where people could kind of add each other to it. Um, and, and then the app obviously now um, is easy to share as well. So you got to the point, like how big did that commu- original community get before you started the app? So we got to, we raised a pre-seed round of funding very quickly after those 12 weeks. Um, the 12 weeks hadn't really finished um, when, we, when we finished the pre-seed. Um, so we raised, we didn't raise a huge amount, we raised £230,000 um, then, which gave us the resources to build the app because both me and my co-founder, my sister, are non-technical. Um, so there was no way we were going to build, our, build the app ourselves. Um, and so that precede really supported uh, the next phase. Wait, let's so let's let's talk about that for a second. We might run out of time, but I'm not sure. I think this is really interesting, though. So, for anyone that's like wanting to raise money, I'm kind of going through it at the moment with Wing. It's like you managed to raise some money, like two hundred thirty thousand. You said that's like pretty substantial um, in that in that moment of time, just based on that initial community that you built from that email list. Yeah, it was a deck. Um, I'd learned a bit of Figma, so I designed a prototype on Figma, which looking back is just the most horrendous thing you've ever seen, but we had a prototype of the app. Um, and we had the appetite of, of that initial community. And and I think with 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 our driving, drivenness, drivenness, I think that's how you say it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that made quite a strong case. Um, so you built you built you know a, a pitch deck and obviously you built like a Figma prototype of how the app would look like, and you didn't say how big the community was back then. It was probably like a couple thousand something like that. Something not, like that. not not even maybe like yeah maybe yeah maybe a thousand a thousand five hundred. That's crazy. And then you went to some angel investors and you wanted to get funding to build something to basically grow this community even more, but on an app. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. We quickly realized that, yeah, as I said, the learning experience would be 10 times better if we can really um, bring it in app. And we had a lot of references of what kind of models we wanted to build. I think FinTalk has exploded over the last few few years as well, and a few months specifically. So really taking in the models of video learning, bite-sized learning, um, and bringing that into our own app. And that happened pretty quickly. We completed it with friends and family. Um, when knocking on every door we could to complete the round um, and then launched the app six months after that um, so launched it in early November so how did you get that initial investment who, who are you kind of like reaching out to so the lead investor um, was someone who was mentoring us before that and I think something that I love as a piece of um, something somebody once said to me is like ask for money and you'll get advice, ask for advice and you'll get money. Um, and I think that's been very true in our journey. Whenever uh, there's mon- mentors and I ask for advice, they often offer to invest. Um, and if I'm wanting them to actually give us money, they'll just give me advice and that's it. Um, so I think cultivating that relationship with people over a long run, um, he he wanted to invest and he brought in another business angel. Um, and then we found couple of other smaller tickets as well um, around ourselves 
that's phenomenal so why did you why did you decide to build an app um and not something else you know we spoke about this before we hit record but obviously you had that community there um and like you can you can pretty much do whatever you want with a the community there's loads of different ways that you can go down with it to expand and of course like we had stephanie sword williams on the podcast before and she built a huge community around um you know female empowerment and stuff like that but she decides to write a book about it and then do some like workshops with big corporates and stuff like that so i guess why why did you decide to go down the app route yeah i think for us we saw that there was a value proposition that hadn't been tapped into which is offering personalized financial education at accessible at scale so at the moment how people can learn about finance is through books through podcasts but the problem is your financial situation is so different from mine you might have 10,000 in savings and be looking at investing in crypto, I might be deep in debt and needing to figure out how I get out of debt and build up my emergency fund. If we read the same book, I'm only going to get value out of two chapters and you'll only get value out of two chapters. When actually what would have been interesting for you is if you had really that personalized curriculum that gets to know you, your situation, and then it's like, okay, so you want to invest in crypto? Have you thought about these things? Blah, blah, blah. Um, And we felt like that wasn't possible through the traditional non-tech um, channels. So we felt like it had to be tech. And then our target audience is, is young people. So Gen Z and millennials who are mainly on their phone. We also wanted the learning experience to be kind of quick and engaging and snappy. And so we very quickly decided on an app rather than a web platform. Um, yeah. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So I guess like with that money, you built the app, I guess you must have outsourced it to a company, something like that when you built the app more practically. Um, no, so we hired a UX oh, you hired. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you hired someone you built, they built, you know, you built it. And then I guess, when you launched, I guess, how did you launch firstly? And then how has it kind of grown organically to, I think you said 10,000 users, right? So yeah. yeah, I guess like, how's that all happened? God, it's been a bit of a whirlwind the last few months, uh, I must say. So we've been cultivating the community before launch in our Slack. And we had about like 600 people in the Slack channel before the launch. So not huge, cultivating the kind of Instagram audience, etc. We had a mailing list of about 1,200 people. Um, and we'd set ourselves the goal of having a 1,000 user within the first month of the app launching. Um, and then, luckily enough, we got some great press coverage. We got like a, a headline sifted about what we're doing and loads of other press. Um, and we reached a thousand users within like 22 hours. Oh my God. How is this possible? And then it just kept growing. Um, and people are loving it and, and, and referring the app. Uh, the app store put us on like the trending apps for quite a while, which again, drove a lot of downloads. We got a, a heap more press. Um, yeah. It's been pretty wild. <laughs> wow. I think we kind of tapped into real, a real nugget of appetite there. Um, yeah. So that like all that press coverage as well, like, did you reach out to them? Like, how, how did you get that? I think we got that piece of advice early on saying it's so worth investing in press. And I would say 100%. So we hired... We got a PR advisor very early. Um, she was, so she was part of the founding team of Starling Bank, the director of a PR agency. She's incredible. Um, and so she's been mentoring us for for months now. We had no idea how PR works. And then we hired a PR freelance person one day a week. 
um, who jumped in and, and just covered and sent out a lot of different press releases. And it's been the best possible investment we've ever made because then we just raised a seed round off the back of that press. And yeah, it was just exactly what we needed at that time. I guess how, how valuable is press for like, I guess in terms of, I guess numbers, like how, how valuable has it been? I think it's difficult to put a to put a real count on it because you don't get like we didn't have a specific tr tracking link or anything like that. Um, but obviously, sifted is huge with VCs, and so it meant that we basically had an inbox full of inbounds from VCs um, who were interested in in investing in Juno. Um, and so, I mean, it was pretty valuable. Um, yeah, it was it was great. I th but the thing is, it's hard to predict. Again, like it's not a and that's we say a lot to our friends as well it's not a given it's not because you have a PR person that they'll nail and be able to get you a spot in a great um, magazine or anything so I think we just got lucky yeah I mean yeah it, it's it is a case we haven't really touched PR at all for my business and it's something that I've definitely seen small value of because you know I, I wrote a blog and I mentioned wing in like one paragraph of the overall blog and that one paragraph got like, I think it got us like 10 or tw like 20 sales, something like that. It was pretty crazy just from like one paragraph, like tiny paragraph. So I'm like, if, if that's got the result for that, then obviously press must be huge because there'll be more, more readers and it'll be an article, you know, dedicated to it. So I, that's why it's kind of shifted my focus. I'm like, we should definitely focus on press now. This, this seems very important to do. Um, so I think also for credibility, just yeah, yeah, also in like the financial space, mm. having the backing of like press also shows that we're a legit company. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing that I wanted to focus on because of press. It's not, it's not just in terms of sales, but also if you go to an investor who's like, oh, I've been featured in Sifted, it, it provides a lot of credibility, and also for new people that wouldn't have downloaded your app before, now they see you on on Sifted. It's like that element of trust, isn't it? Um, so yeah, 100% agree with you. I guess what is next for Juno? Now that you've got 10,000 um, 10, yeah, 10, users onto the platform, what's the kind of like next step? Absolutely. Um, so we are rolling out a lot more content. We really launched with like a baby MVP given what we're wanting to build. Um, so at the moment, there's very minimal content on the app and we're launching the investing module this month. Um, launching the crypto module, all the, all the cool modules, um, launching the community and app as well. So really rolling out um, that side of things. And we're really aiming to become the financial hub for women um, and non-binary people. And then in the future, integrating with financial providers as well. So you can do both the learning and the, and the tracking and the doing within the app. That's very cool. Um, so that's, that's next. That's so cool. I, I, yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. I know a lot of people on this podcast would love to, you know, check out Juno, like stay in touch with you. Um, I guess like, how's the best way for them to stay up? Because given that we're like, we should probably wrap, wrap up the podcast now, I guess, how's the best way for them to stay in touch with you? You can find Juno on the app store. It's still, still free for a couple of weeks. Um, it's called your Juno. And then we're on Instagram at your Juno. Um, find me on linkedin margo de broccoli um yeah that's pretty much it okay sweet thank you so much margo for coming on the podcast again first episode of 2022 and uh yeah i can't wait to see what juno does this year i think it's gonna be a big year um given what you what you said and also like yeah i know a lot of people are interested so i can't wait thank you again so much and i'm sure we'll speak soon thanks again thank you so much 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur, the first one of 2022. I'm so excited to come with this one. As you guys have seen, it's an amazing episode and I hope you did enjoy it. If you did, please be sure to leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts because it helps out the podcast so, so much. Don't forget as well to check out the Inside the Tech Den podcast. The link will be in my description. Before we head off, I want to tell you quickly about the podcast new sponsor, VinoVest. This is not financial advice and please do not take my advice, but as someone that invests a lot into a lot of different things and wants to diversify, I'm constantly looking for new opportunities. I recently stumbled across VinoVest and they've recently sponsored the podcast. I personally haven't invested with them, but I'm looking at it really closely because it's such an interesting space for sure. So what is it? Fine wine has long been a cornerstone of wealth generation and preservation. The problem, historically, it's been reserved for the ultra wealthy, right? And the people that know a lot about wine. VinoVest is changing that. So wine, like historically, has one, has one third of the volatility of the stock market and has outperformed the global equities market over the last 30 years, according to sources from, from them, with, with a 10.6% annualized return. Now, I personally don't know anything about wine. If you know anything about me, I don't really drink that much. Um, I don't drink at all, to be fair. But I'm always looking for new investments. And VinoVest really stood out to me because it makes it so easy to acquire new investments, equipped with a team of world-class sommeliers who evaluate wine and determine which ones would gain value over time. You actually own the wines in your portfolio outright. So if you are a drinker, unlike me, um, you can actually buy them, sell them, drink them um, whenever you want. So if you are actually interested in checking them out and it's something that you would be interested in, um, then please go, go to my link zen.ai uh, forward slash millennial entrepreneur to receive two months of fee free investing. Um, again, this is not financial advice. You may lose your money. Your capital is definitely at risk. Um, but if you want to play around with it, please do use my link because it will help you out. Uh, it is in the description as well. So without further ado, thank you again for listening to the podcast. And I will catch you in the next episode.